Welcome to the Does It Work podcast by Biomarker Labs, where you can find wellness without the woo. There's an alligator coming down. Hello. Today I'm joined Hi. by Evan. <laughs> okay, let me start over. Sorry. <laughs> Clearly a bunch of stuff. <laughs> uh, hello. Today I'm joined by Evan Hunterberg. He is actually an old friend of mine from my DC days, and he is a former entrepreneur in the CBD space. And so we're going to talk about controversies, overview of this hot new uh, news gathering, buzz producing, but not psychoactive compound. Thank you so much for coming on, Evan. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. So tell me about the business that you and I think it was one other partner. Um, yeah, a couple other partners. Okay. Um, yeah, so my, someone who I had a kind of business and friendly relationship with, they were starting to produce they're starting to distill um, something called THCA out of raw, you could just, we called it crude, kind of like a crude oil metaphor to, um, it was kind of like a really low quality hash was our starting point. And then we were distilling out of it um, what is basically the native form cannabinoid of THC. So is it relevant for me to go into some of the specifics on how that works? I think it would be more like what was the effect that you were trying to accomplish for the consumer? Yeah. Okay. So they were working on some stuff. They were able to take pretty specific elements out of the plant. And I was kind of looking at the space already and realizing that there were a lot of gaps in terms of low dose and really specific doses and non-psychoactive cannabinoids. So we started to push in that direction. And then what we came up with was a company that was really focused on making stuff. We want, really wanted to take a lot of the stigma out of the usage of it. And while that was already happening, a lot of the brands out there were still doing stuff that was for kind of hardcore users. There was a lot of stuff out there that was like a hundred milligrams and a hundred milligrams is way too much for someone who's just stepping into it. And so we really wanted to bring that down make like an, a truly introductory product. And that meant a few things, was pulling down the dosages by a lot, making some non-psychoactive products, and then also making it really specific so that people can trust and figure out their dosages that are appropriate for them in a really easy way. And actually, it was with you that we kind of had a bit of a breakthrough on one of the products. We were working on something that was five milligrams. And um, so that's, there's another company out there, Kiva, that does a lot of stuff that's in five milligrams and that seemed to us like okay we just need to sort of make it easier to take it like they have their stuff combined with espresso beans we just wanted to simplify the hell out of it and so we were creating these tablets that just had like a tiny amount of sugar in them to make them palatable and some other kind of binders so it really operated more like more like an altoid so it was just you're consuming this thing not for like the fun of the consumption of it but just for the effects of it and I gave it to you, it was a five milligram thing and you broke it in half. And it was a uh, eye-opening moment for me, realizing that like, oh my God, right. Like I'm kind of, it's me and three other dudes kind of, who are all like 160 pounds plus, like testing this stuff out. I'm like, okay, half the population is, is under that weight, like has, is gonna need a smaller dose to start out with. So we started doing that. And then once we did take it to some uh, kind of like, conferences and trade events, that was the stuff that kicked off these little two milligram uh, tablets. That and the 
uh, non-psychoactive stuff, people were really interested in the, um, uh, especially blended stuff that uses THCA and CBD. Um, it sounds like you're interested in the effects of these different things. Should I just start jumping into that? Yeah, I think one thing that I wanted to just note is like, just from a business perspective, that's so interesting. Like it's so crazy to just watch people use whatever you're making, whether it's an app or a pill or a food or whatever. Uh, yeah, those kinds of insights are invaluable. It's like, you know, how are people actually interacting with that? So I love that story. But as far as the um, PhD extract, I kind of wanted to talk about CBD and kind of your research with um, one of the controversies that I see in the space is that the uh, uh, research into its effectiveness is kind of scant. And um, one thing that I'm seeing with a lot of these compounds that are sold over the counter is that you've kind of got this balance where if you don't take enough, it doesn't have any effect. But if you take a lot, um, it can have unintended effects. And one of the biggest is, um, it can be stressful for your liver. So that's like a huge thing with like kava, for example, um, some really weird, you know, interactions with melatonin and like it can affect your birth control um, at high enough doses. And so, yeah, uh, there's, in, there's research to indicate that you need to take a pretty significant amount of CBD to see, you know, measurable results, but um, it does, can be taxing for your liver. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we looked into it ourselves as well. And like, there, there's a shitload of different cannabinoids and they all do slightly different things. They all kind of interact with the endocannabinoid system in different ways. And a lot of them basically get in the way or they disrupt somehow um, inflammation pathways. So you can see this in something called the COX-2 interaction, which that's kind of what has been any, anywhere close to clinically researched. Um, I think, I think it's, they've done it in vivo. And it's like they can actually see the, the cannabinoid getting in the way of this pathway so that it's disrupting what's happening in terms of uh, inflammation happening in a particular site. And what's kind of special about it is that uh, – for some reason, it seems to be interrupting things where inflammation is already occurring, which makes it useful for um, as a replacement to something called a TNF blocker, which is basically like an immunosuppressant. Um, I can get into that, and I'm going to try to get to your more directly to your question as I'm going forward here. The in terms of the dosages, we anecdotally um, we also saw that. Yeah, five milligrams, ten milligrams of CBD is really like insignificant and probably placebo effect a lot of the time. Um, had heard quite often from people who were using it topically that it was actually functioning, and that was actually one of the most surprising things to me. Um, but if it's going to absorb and it's getting into your muscle tissue, it does make sense that um, if you have some kind of arthritis at a like joint site, it's going to hit that and do its thing if it is able to penetrate your uh, skin membrane, which through certain carriers it's able to do. The toxicity element of it, something that is that we hadn't gotten into, um, it makes sense because it's just it's an overload of a compound that your body 
normally would produce itself via fats. This is kind of like this, you know, it's a natural product, but in terms of it being introduced to your body, it's synthetic, theoretically, you know, metaphorically in that way. So it's not surprising that in high dosages, it's going to fuck with your system and be something that needs to get filtered out, which definitely sounds like a problem because when it comes to ingesting CBD, people are doing it in extremely high doses to get something of an anti-anxiety or anti-inflammatory effect. The other thing is that those can be short-lived and you're going to build up a... Um, you're going to build up a tolerance to them as well. Your body's going to get used to the new um, thing that's incoming to your body. So we, we always looked at it as a crutch and not as a vitamin. So really in terms of like, if you have a specific thing that you're dealing with, yes, take some CBD, some THCA, whatever it is, but not so that that's the way you treat your disease, but the way that you kind of help yourself and make like, take on a healthier lifestyle in general so that you can really get to the roots of these problems. Because these are, these are chemicals that your body is supposed to be making when you're consuming healthy fats and have an otherwise healthy lifestyle, sleep, stress, food, exercise, all that stuff. So this was really for us supposed to be a thing that um, would help people kind of get back on their way. That is so interesting. I, yeah, it reminded me of the fact that you know, half of the U.S. population takes supplements, right? And a lot of these supplements are going to have an impact on the liver. Um, you know, gabapentin, for example, you know, can, can tax your liver. And so if you're already taking something that is going to have an impact on the liver and then you double up with, you know, CBD and whatever else, it's just, uh, it's a compounding effect. And so that's something to take into consideration. And then I love your point about um, how to use CBD. And I think that it's well taken, but I also think that people need to be kind of wary because as a brand, if you're doing the marketing, then it's obviously going to be, you know, for a lot of reasons and in a lot of ways in your best interest to market this as something that you should incorporate into your daily routine, right? Once you've sold somebody, it's much easier to sell them more than to find a new customer or to like, oh, you know, now you're inflamed again, like pick up the CBD, much better to have them just constantly purchasing it. Um, but uh, I think that that's, that's a much more common sense way to approach the, the, the category of, of um of compounds is that it's, you know, you, if you're having constant inflammation, um, that's a sign that something's broken and that CBD is a, a band-aid, but it's not a cure. Yeah. I'm really happy we're having this conversation with me as a post-entrepreneur in the, in the space. Otherwise, <laughs> those questions would be difficult to, difficult to respond to. I mean, I, it was something that came up as we were developing it. I was working on the marketing for it. And I think that was already one of the challenges and stuff that like my mom brought up with me when, when I started working on it. And it was, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing when you're a small new company because you're trying to get off, off the ground <laughs> and it's really fucking hard to do that. And so at that, at that stage, like whatever it is, like we need people to just start buying this thing and there's other competitors out there. We need to figure out how to create a base. The danger is that you often end up setting up your company culture, the way that you speak about the product, the expectations around the product when you're in that phase. So there is this really difficult um, 
kind of tightrope to walk in terms of the ethical responsibility of it. What had made me excited about some, some of them, it is a high dosage thing is really interesting. I think for something like THC, you can actually work with much smaller doses. It's unclear exactly what, um, what that's going to be useful for as well. For some people, THC is just useful for um, anxiety. In terms of other things, it is potentially an anti-inflammatory, but we're not entirely sure how it is. THCA, um, I don't know if that has uh, toxicity problems as well. It could. Um, but something that did excite us in terms of like the Band-Aid crutch kind of thing, and that's sort of how we started coming up with that perspective on it, was people who have Crohn's disease. Um, we didn't even really think about it too much until we were approached by someone with the disease. And this guy, he had done a ton of research and he did not want to get onto these TNF blockers or these kind of synthetic uh, pharmaceuticals, which are very much designed for you to be on for the rest of your life. And they're paid for by insurance and they're extremely expensive. Many of them are injections that you have to take on a like weekly basis. And so this guy kind of was trying to figure out all the different supplements, whatever it is, it's going to work for him. And then he started messing around with CBD and THCA and he found that a blend was working pretty well for him. We went to um, a meetup with him and other Crohn's disease patients and it was fascinating to see what happened. Everyone there who most of them were kind of in like a, some kind of remission or something was, they were finding, they all had ways of dealing with it they all had kind of a different band-aid that they were using. Some were using different types of TNF blockers, which have major problems because it compromises your entire immune system. He was using CBD and THCA to the same level of effect as those people were using the pharmaceuticals. And the magic there is that they were only attacking the sites of specific inflammation in his gut rather than his entire body. So if he got um, uh, like a scrape on his knee or his elbow, you wouldn't have to worry about getting like tuberculosis, which is a very real fucking thing with TNF blockers. Wow, yeah. that's insane. Yeah, it's wild. It's kind of criminal. Um, the 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 kind of thread running through everything with all these people was that every single one, no matter how they were directly treating it, the way that the thing that the foundation they laid to be healthy was exercise, a mostly paleo and vegan diet. Uh, cutting out as many processed foods, especially processed carbohydrates as possible. And their flare-ups were very directly related to those foods. Um, and then de-stressing as well. A lot of them had gotten into meditation or some or yoga or some form of de-stress. So it's like this and a lot of other diseases are just these products of modern life as well. And then there's some products that help you, but we we're realizing like, okay, there's something bigger here and it's the lifestyle stuff. So when we went along with the marketing, we were trying to really get into that aspect of things as well, make this a blend of a healthy lifestyle, not, not to contain a healthy lifestyle. Not as a replacement. Yeah. It's, that's, that was exactly, I have an ex with um, pretty severe Crohn's disease and he was a huge stoner and he was like, yeah, it's like a treatment for Crohn's disease. And I was like, ah. and then I looked into the medical literature and it was like literally the only thing shown to put Crohn's into remission was cannabis. And I was like, Pretty wild. insane. Yeah. And he followed a very paleo diet, um, was super into meditation, like a Buddhist, like exactly what you're talking about. Wow. Funny. Yeah. There is, there is one other treatment and it's uh, fecal transplant. 
Yeah, that is so interesting. It's so unfortunate to me that you need to get like permission from the government to uh, try that. Um, I, I just really, find that I, so offensive. It's it's wild. I know. I mean, the, fun, funnily enough, there is our, our president is actually working on solving a little bit of that. I mean, I don't know what his motivations are for it, but he's starting to pull down a couple of the barriers for the experimentation aspect of things are like our co-founder uh, is like, he is an immigrant and he deals with all the issues surrounding that. And, but he did kind of, he was, he was mentioning the sort of weird irony and the kind of like ethical confusion he almost had around being excited about that part of a program that the that Trump was was working on. Anyway, um, I, I mean, I think all that's locked up in the, the, the pharmaceuticals lobby of, of our laws and influence and that stuff. But anyway, this guy in the Crohn's disease uh, meetup group, he had traveled to Argentina to get that procedure done. And okay. he got it, he was then asked, I mean, such a bizarre thing and it's like full of just potty humor basically because it's like, he ends up with, now he's, he's got these contacts there and he gets basically, shit mailed to him with dry ice and then goes through the procedure. Procedure's not fun. And one thing I found, one thing that came up in these, in the groups was that the, the importance of a, um, a very diverse gut uh, microbiome. And it's something we're totally missing now. We eat like 20 species of things per week. The, in, before agriculture, we were eating like 150 species of things per week. And so when he was asking the doctors in Argentina, like, he was kind of entertaining them a little bit and or just getting them to entertain some weird questions. And he's asking, what is, what would be like the best poop for me to, for me to get here? And they're like, Oh, okay. Actually the best poop for you to get is if you could convince one of the indigenous people out in the Amazon to give you their poop, that's the primo stuff. Because that's going to have the, this is huge ecosystem of bacteria. And that's actually what you need to be attacking everything. And they got into these ideas that like a lot of the Crohn's problems are from having a very like monoculture, uh, microbiome and they even spoke some of the patients spoke about sort of like battling this monster in their gut being the microbiome and it's like if you feed the microbiome meat potatoes carbs you end up with a meat potato carb microbiome and then this creates this cycle where that microbiome wants those things and so you end up getting influenced to eat them more and you, you get onto that cycle but you can intentionally reverse it and start kind of attacking the microbiome in your body and building up a more diverse system there to process more things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting the extent to which fiber plays a role in your micro microbiome. I've been yeah. really focused on that lately. It's, um, you know, the, the so-called good bacteria need a lot of fiber to stay alive. And so the more you can give it, then, you know, the more they'll reproduce um, and the bad ones feast on, you know, uh, sugars and simple carbohydrates. So it's kind of a, one of the, it's very difficult to obtain Amazonian tribes people poop, I assume. Um, I don't know, I haven't tried, uh, but it's, you know, it's also difficult to eat a diverse uh, diet, but, you know, increasing your fiber intake is probably one of the easiest things you can do and taking probiotics to increase your um, gut diversity. So that's what I've been focused on lately. But um, yeah, getting back to CBD, like, do you feel that, so 
if if CBD reduces inflammation, which is kind of the hypothesis we're working with, kind of what the research has shown, that means if you swallow it, it re reduces inflammation in your gut. So it just has to get into your bloodstream. Okay. And then from there, it's going to theoretically find or, or I think work on sources of inflammation that are occurring wherever in your body. So that's why smoking it would theoretically have the same effect as swallowing it. The topical thing is a little bit different because that's an actual, that doesn't really, I think that's gonna, it's gonna get into your bloodstream, but it's gonna be more localized to the source that you're just rubbing it into. And like the deeper rub you can kind of get, the better it's gonna work in that context. But it's just about being in the pool with the rest of the stuff. Okay, here's the question I have for you. And I think that you're probably ideally suited to give us the straight scoop. So there's a kind of a dual problem in the CBD marketplace for consumers. And one is that a lot of these products have too little CBD to matter. You know, you're paying more, but you're not really getting any benefit from it. It's placebo, like you said. Um, the other problem is that the, the CBD amounts that were, like, I don't know, I think it was the FDA tested like 70 different products and found wildly different amounts of CBD than were advertised. Um, and then similarly, like, I don't know shit about this, but I would imagine that there are different kinds of CBD, there are different ways of making it bioavailable. And so even if it has like a certain concentration of CBD, depending on the form and the things that it's mixed with and the way that you're supposed to be ingesting it, it may or may not be super bioavailable. So like, how can a user, a consumer in this marketplace, you know, not get screwed? Yeah, uh, you bring up a lot of great points there. So I'll, I might work backwards a little bit there. Bioavailability, you're gonna wanna take it with fat. It's, it's fat soluble and that's gonna be the most effective vehicle for it. Um, I think as long as it's combined in that in a chocolate or something like that, it's gonna be, it's gonna work, it's gonna be okay. Um, and a good one should also be in a pill or something that is dissolved in oil, say. Um, so that's one thing. Amounts of CBD is, yeah, it's a huge problem. I, I, you know, we're kind of talking about this and figuring out what is, what is the ideal dosage. I don't think anyone really knows yet. Um, it should be marked on the side of the, uh, with a sticker on the side of the product. Um, and I mean, this industry is one of the most regulated there is like, there's no, it's very hard to get that much transparency on any other product you get out of a supermarket. These things are tested from, from the ground all the way to the shelf and they're kind of labeled along the way and things are theoretically supposed to remain consistent that way. So I think you do need to trust a little bit in terms of the, the idea that's being tested. However, and this is not, probably not, it kind of calls that into question because we found that there was a lot of problems with the testing facilities. So we would get something tested, the same stuff tested by the same facility twice and see 20% deviations. And what's happening is that people are testing things um, a few times and then it's going with the highest number. 
this problem is not solved yet. We are starting to talk with a few different folks and and like a couple labs to kind of build up some consortium on this and figure this out. But we went away and so that project went away as well. Um, I haven't heard anything about that since. Hopefully someone's still working on that. Um, let's see, the other thing is sourcing for the CBD. So um, it seems like there's just a lot of products out there that are basically saying that they're coming from, uh, I think they're playing with the language a little bit. Like the stuff that's legal in states that don't have full legalization yet, that stuff's mostly horseshit. Um, it's coming, it's like CBD coming from uh, a hemp plant that is theoretically has, hemp plants, they don't make THC. They do make a little bit of CBD, but not a ton of it. You have to be growing specifically like a CBD plant for that to happen. So I think they're playing with the language in order to, like they have some CBD in it, but it's not coming from a really concentrated source. And they usually in those other states don't have to label the actual quantities. So people see CBD products and then they get excited. And then these things meanwhile end up getting caught with some kind of other like, um, some kind of, um, I'm missing the word right now. Uh, something that's gonna have some like drowsy effect so that it seems like it has the expected effect from a CBD product. In terms of California, it's when it says CBD um, and a content for it, it should be okay, except for those problems with the actual testing numbers that I was talking about. Um, and then there's other, there's some CBDs that are like cleaner than others too. So some of the extraction process can bring along like heavy metals with it. Again, that should be coming out in the testing process and there's pretty stringent regulations on what can actually um, come through in terms of uh, any byproducts from the extraction process. So California is good, not so much the rest of the place. So buy California is your recommendation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And I have to ask, so what happened? Why are you guys not in business anymore? Yeah. So the, what happened? We, a couple things kind of intersected at the same time. Um, we were working on getting sales up and running. Um, and at the same time, we got connected to another group of individuals who had some technology to basically do synthetic CBD. Genetic, it, really interesting process. Um, the idea is that you would build out a fermentation lab that works with genetically engineered yeast that have been designed to take in sugar and produce CBD as a byproduct because CBD is a naturally occurring compound. So yeasts are kind of simple enough that you can change them in a way that they're rather than making say alcohol and carbon dioxide, now they're making CBD and some other byproduct. This is theoretically possible. So we started going down a route to get funding to do something like that. At the same time, it started to be, emerge this idea that like, okay, that's actually the really fundable, interesting, long-term play with this thing. And it kind of put our other operation into a contrast or relief in the sense that like, okay, we're making a product that might be like 10% better than the stuff that's out there right now. If we get any traction, another company is just going to do it. It's not that much harder for them to do it. We'd have to build a really strong community and strong brand to get that done, which is something that we were working on, but it's kind of like if you were in the 1990s, uh, 1890s, and you were a soda company, and one of the soda companies out there is Coca-Cola, 
no one knows which company is going to become Coca-Cola. They all kind of have an equal chance of becoming it, but they're all, all the other ones also are going to go away as well. So my partners who are a little bit more experienced with me um, kind of pat me on the back a little bit and said like, stop, just it's time to lay it down. <laughs> so, I mean, this, is, this is not going to make us money in, uh, in a very foreseeable future in a significant amount. And it was a lot of work. So I think at the time I was a little bit frustrated about it, but it's a good, uh, it was a good learning experience in terms of setting things up and just seeing how the industry works from the ground level as well. Absolutely. Any new entrepreneurial uh, plans in your future? Yeah, totally. So we're going to something totally different, but way more related to my wheelhouse. Um, currently working on something that it's like a natural language processing uh, tool. And it's very mundane, and that's what I like about it. It's very specific, and eventually I like to do all kinds of things with it and um, bring in machine learning and all kinds of uh, ways of looking at text data and pulling themes out of the data. But right now, I found kind of a very specific use for it, which is analyzing the what's called free responses or open responses or free answers in surveys. So you'll get surveys and you get, okay, you prefer chocolate chip or double chocolate or double chocolate. And then people answer one or the other and find you have your, okay, 75% of people prefer chocolate chip. That's really easy to read. But then when you ask the question, why do you prefer chocolate chip? You get 500, a thousand different answers for that. And part of this process is going through it manually and sorting through, okay, some people like it because it reminds me of Christmas. Some people like it because their mom made stuff and like it reminds them of a certain smell. And so um, developing a tool that just automatically parses out what those different themes are so that folks don't have to spend hours going through all the answers. Sounds extremely useful. I hope so. Yeah, very different, but uh, yeah, does sound like it's in your wheelhouse as a marketer. So a marketer and I love language, I love uh, thinking about the way we build associations in our, in our minds. That's more so in the area I want to take it. I want to start to think about um, what are the themes that are coming up in like uh, when people are tweeting about uh, shoes or something like that, and what, how does that connect to um, other kinds of desires that are out there, and other kinds of other parts of people's psychology, and how are they connecting it to like different attitudes they're trying to take on? Start to figure out like what build almost like a map of uh, of the zeitgeist. Sounds useful. Awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us about CBD. Those are some really uh, useful and um, practical tips for what it is, the state of the industry, how to be a savvy consumer. Great. That's good to hear. Thanks for tuning in to the Does It Work podcast by Biomarker Labs. For links, show notes, and more, check out biomarker.io slash podcast. There's a